Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. My guest this week is a brilliant entrepreneur. His name is Suk Chamdal. He's the co-founder of Cakebox Holdings. Now, Cakebox started very simply in 2008 when Suk's lacto-vegetarian daughter asked him to make an egg-free cake. Suk obliged and opened a shop selling just that. Wine forward 13 years and it's now a £140 million market cap enterprise, aim-listed, with over 180 stores up and down the country. Now, I'll let Suk describe it because he does it so well. But if you haven't seen a cake box shop, they're growing so fast, it's only a matter of time before you do. Now, I was lucky enough to spend the afternoon with Suk and his co-founder, Pardeep, at their factory in Enfield. It was a joy. They have this infectious buzz of energy when talking about their business. And in my mind, it's one to watch for the future. So... Without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. Suk Chamdal, welcome to the podcast. Suk, how did you start your career? I started my career in my family business, which was Indian sweets. And so we used to manufacture Indian sweets in a shop in East London. And to make it authentic, in India, we always used buffalo milk. So Back in the 80s, we, we just could not get buffalo milk here. And so in conjunction with one of my colleagues, we actually started the water buffalo in this country. So we imported a, a Romanian and a Italian of buffalo. We crossbred them to make a British buffalo. So we brought buffalo milk to this country to make Indian sweets. And then when I started the cake box and that started getting bigger, I did close the Indian sweet shop, but my father said that, please, can I preserve his legacy? So I went out and bought another herd of buffaloes, which number about 65 of them now, and they're farmed in uh, Leamington Spa in Warwickshire, and we still use that milk to make that one sweet for my dad's legacy, which we sell in all the cake boxes as well. Well, I know about that because I visited the factory and tried said sweet, and they are delicious. But going back to Cakebox, and why did you start Cakebox in 2008? What was the value proposition? What happened? My children, my family are all lacto vegetarians. So none of them have egg, meat, fish, or eggs. And when my daughter got self aware, she said, Dad, I don't want no eggs in my cakes. So what do you do? So thanks to the Labour government, in the dying days of the Labour government, a grant of £20,000 and an allocation of the South Bank University, they came up with an egg-free cake mix recipe for me. My father's shop next door became vacant, and I thought, what should I do in there? And I thought, look, uh, let me try making these eggless cakes. Being fortunately in a very high ethnic area, which had a lot of Indians which are vegetarians, Muslims, which if there's no egg meat in the product, it's halal by default. And so I started up there and it was very successful. And it was so successful that customers started saying, can you open a branch here or can you open a branch there? And I said, I have no intention of opening any branches because it was a very high cash generative business. And how do you control that cash? Or how do you stop people nicking that cash? I said, I'm not interested. Then one person said to me, why don't you open a franchise? So what's a franchise? (laughs) Next day, I had a letter in the post. The franchise show is in town. Would you like to franchise your business? I went there, had a chat, and the rest is history. 
Well, the rest is history indeed, and I may be out of date, but I think you have now 180 stores. That's approximately that's correct. And we also have about 21 uh, shopping mall kiosks, and we have about 10 uh, kiosks in a major supermarket as well. And so what does it take to be a, a franchisee? Again, we reject 90% of all applicants. We get 100 applicants a month. We only take on 3%. We're looking for followers. We're looking for people who want to have a change in their career. We want someone, people who want to make Cakebox their life, not an investment. If you've got two Papa John's and a Domino's and a pizza and a Kentucky, we're not interested. Mm. We're interested for people who want to dedicate themselves to the cause, have a better work-life balance. And in doing COVID, this is what we've seen. We've seen a much better quality application from franchisees because they're professionals, our pharmacists, engineers, mm. accountants, and they want to change. They've always wanted to open their own business but never had that last push. And with COVID coming, a threat of redundancy, et cetera, they've taken that push and they've come to us. So our, we hold over 50 deposits for our potential franchisees who are looking for premises. They want to be in a business, but they don't want the risk which is what the beauty of a franchise system is. We've done all the risk. We've done all the mistakes. We've got a system now. All they have to do is follow it. And if they follow it, they will be very successful. And we have a lot of franchises who are very successful. But what we found, that we found that there's an ever-increasing lady entrepreneur. We've got over 32 of them. Mm -hmm. And that's nearly 50% of our estate. And they are multiple franchise owners as well, or site owners. What do you look for when you meet? You say you've got quite a lot of sifting to do to get through your various applications. What do you look for then in the people that have applied? I mean, are there sort of key attributes that you find make successful franchisees? Absolutely. Our initial form is designed so that we can read out a lot of franchises. If they boast that they've got a lot of money, if they boast they've got a lot of businesses, we don't select them. Mm-hmm. And we select the franchisees who show enthusiasm, who show a willingness to embrace the systems that we've got. When we bring them into the head office for their presentation, we do a couple of tests as well. And it shows that if they understand what they get themselves into. So, for example, one of the tests, what we're looking for is we will follow your system. Not that we want to work hard, not that we want to work long hours, not that we will change systems to suit ourselves. And that weeds out a lot of the potential franchisees who are not suitable. But I'm happy to say that, you know, a lot of the franchisees all show all the attributes we want. We want someone who's dedicated, loyal, who wants to follow systems, and who wants to increase and get on and have ambition. Mm-hmm. And has it been harder since you've grown and, you know, you started from a shop, you then grew and rolled out a franchise model. I think you listed in 2008, you know, you're now on the AIM market with a market cap of around 150 million. Now, the question is, when you're scaling a company at that speed, how do you maintain control across the operations? We run this business as a family business. We've always been a family business. And I think we're still a family business. Every week we have a Zoom conference with all our franchisees where we discuss ideas, discuss the state of the shop, discuss the state of the business. And in COVID, it brought it home how much of a family we were. Uh, one of our shops 
one of the staff contracted COVID. And because she had been in contact with, she had been at work, every single member of that uh, shop had to isolate. So that would have meant closing the business. But as soon as the rest of the franchises found out, the two local franchisees, they stepped up, set their staff in there. They made all the orders at their place and made sure that shop stayed operational. And that's what I call our family. And when they run out of goods, so they may run out of sponge or cream or anything, they don't come running to head office. They don't come running to a warehouse. They just phone the nearest shop and say, can we borrow till our delivery comes in? And that's how we work. And all support each other. We've got a forum. If there's a problem, they put their message on the forum. And we hardly here at head office have to answer anything because all the other franchisees jump in straight away and solve that problem for them. And tell me about the markets. What do you see as the addressable market? And how have the market dynamics changed in the you know, 15 years that you've been running the business? 68 million people in this country, 365 days in the year. That equals 180,000 birthdays, which are celebrated every day. If I can get even a small proportion of that every day, I'll be very happy. There's always going to be a birthday. There's always going to be a celebration. And my job is to serve that community, that, that demand. And so what we've done is we've actually, I believe, have created a market. We like to call ourselves the Amazon of the cake market. We give you your cake at your convenience, at your lifestyle. So you can click and collect. You can get an order delivered. You can walk in with no pre-planning and get yourself a cake and personalize there and then. You can pre-plan, order it for as many days in advance as you want. So we have brought the convenience to the market, and that's reflected when we have the GCC results and A-level mm-hmm. results, and because you don't know how many you're going to get, so we get the customers come in the shop, commiserations or well-done five-day stars, and that was not available before. In the Muslim uh, festival of Ramadan and Eid, they never used to celebrate with a cake, but now they're all celebrated with a cake. And Christmas Day is our busiest day of the year because uh, we provide a fresh cream cake. And because of the demand, over 70% of all our shops open on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. And now it's shifted to New Year's Eve every celebrating New Year's by cutting a cake. I believe we are instrumental in creating that market because of the convenience, because of the freshness, and because we brought back the fresh cream cake to the market, which has been vanished over 30 years ago. So if I walk into the stop, and actually you've got me at a good time because it's my wife's birthday on Friday and it's my son's birthday on Sunday. So if I walk into one of your shops and buy two cakes, how long will it take for me to personalize them? What, approximately about three minutes. Wow. <laughs> yes, you set your cake, give us a message, we write it for you there and then. If you want a photo of your son or your wife on there, it take another five minutes. But we'll, we'll, that's how much flexibility we have got. And it's all geared to the satisfaction of the customer, to give them what they want. Just going back to the business model itself, why did you select the franchisee model? And what was the sort of business plan behind that? Because, you know, presumably, is there a danger that you lose control of some of your processes and you lose control of some of your branding if you outsource this to a franchisee? How do you motivate a manager? The best manager is an owner-occupier. By using the franchise model, that franchise is the business of that person. And that person wants the best for his shop and the maximum amount of earning potential. 
and he or she will put in the maximum amount to make sure that shop runs up to its full potential. So by having a franchise system, we are empowering that small shop entrepreneur and they will always ensure it's running at full optimization. When you run it from central and you've got staff, where's the full motivation for that? And having three or four staff on site, each shop times that by 180, it's a lot of staff. But if you break it down to local and they've got two franchises or three franchises, 15 staff maximum, and they can handle that very, very well. And uh, the motivation being the more they make, the more they make. So mm-hmm. we benefit, they benefit. And I want to go back to the your branding and marketing because I think you have got a very clear brand proposition and you were kind enough to invite me to your office and you live the brand. You're wearing the purple. The office is painted in cape box. Was that the intention from the outset or was that sort of evolve as you ran the business? No, absolutely from the start. When I started the business, I said, how am I going to stick out? Every shop's got black frame or gray frame and subtle lighting. I want to be loud and proud. And my orange and purple sticks out like a sore thumb on every high street. And when we do go into high street, we brighten it up. And then you'll find within a year, our other shops have started brightening them up. We've got a lot of lighting. We haven't got subtle lighting. On a dark winter's night like this, you can see us from miles away. We stick out like a sore thumb. But it's inviting. It's that beautiful display of cakes in that lovely litten shop or with beautiful bright purple and orange. And it just makes you feel that you want to go in there and buy something, even if you're not a cake eater. And as you look to the future, what do you think is, so you've identified the addressable market today, what does Cakebox look like and who is it serving in three or five years' time? Originally, we targeted the Asian market because I lived in an Asian area. And my first 20 franchises all lived in Asian areas and they targeted the Asian areas then. But as we're now spreading out Openton, Aldershot, uh, we've got Southampton, we've got Ashford, we're in non-traditional Asian areas. And it's the proof of putting it in the actual product. If your product is good enough, you can sell it anywhere. And no one misses the egg. Once they've tasted the cake, the sponge, the light fluffy sponge with fresh cream on it, they are converted. So they don't miss the egg. So no matter where we open now, we get rave reviews for the product. And I believe the product is the key. You couple that with great customer service, you've got a winning formula. There's no shopping center or high street that we cannot be in. We've got big gaps up the northeast, Wales, Scotland, southeast, the northwest, Anglia. We're actually going to open in Plymouth now. So we're going to be making an impression over there. So there's so much potential where we can grow this business to. I mean, Suk, how do you manage your time? Because you are experiencing extraordinary growth at the moment. And I think the growth trajectory is pretty visible. It seems like you're in the foothill of quite a long growth trajectory. How do you manage your time and manage this business that's growing so fast? It's all about your team. Or my partner and co-founder of the franchise podcast, he does all the financials. My COO, Dr. Singh, he does uh, all the operations and the R&D. And we are now in a position that we can expand our team, which we are doing. So we've brought in an IT director. we just brought in a, a production manager. we just brought in a food technical a team. And uh, we are strengthening our middle management all the time. As the needs of the business grows, so do we, we're bringing in the talent. 
we've just got a beautiful or brilliant uh, procurement team put in place. Next step is going to be our marketing team, which we're going to refresh. By bringing all that talent in, it all gels together and makes running the business really, really easy. What our mantra is that all my staff must want to come to work, not have to come to work. We want to have a smile and a laugh. My door is always open. Any member of staff may come and see me at any time. Same as my franchisees. Every single franchise has got access to my mobile. They can phone me 24-7. I'm always accessible. I'm not the CEO who sits aloof and everybody wonders who he does, what he does. Every single one will know who I am. Right down to the cleaner, they all know and they've all got access. We share the same canteen. Any one of my workers would come in, sit down with me, have a meal at lunchtime, have a chat. We like to see it as a big family. And we distribute the work among ourselves. And tell me about the competitive landscape. How has that changed in the years that you've been running? I mean, have you seen imitation, emulation from your competitors? Um, and how have you reacted to it? Oh, absolutely, we do. And, and you know, they say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So you are going to get the upstarts. You're going to get the owner-occupiers, the one-shop persons. Oh, the biggest competition I think we've got is about a chain of shops in the Midlands. We've got about 10 or 12. They haven't added anything in the last few years. There's a couple of other ones who are emerging, but we've got no like-for-like competition in the country. We've got local, very, very, very local competition. We've got some in London, some in Birmingham, and that is about it. So, Touchwood, we've been very lucky that uh, no one has managed to get as big as us. And I think the perception there is that uh, there isn't money in cake. And so that's why we've been so lucky to grow so fast without any competition at all. And the supermarkets can't compete with us because they can't do the freshness. Well, if it's a fresh cream product, it's only got a life of 24 hours, 48 hours. And so they haven't got the system. That they're not geared up to provide such a fresh product. And the maximum we'll get is the local operator. When the local operator opens up, it creates a market. We've had a few open up a few doors away, but it has not affected our sales in the slightest. Well, that's good to hear. And final question, Suka. Um, we have a lot of younger listeners to this podcast, and I'm curious to know what advice you would give to our younger listeners who, you know, perhaps are, are in a job that they're not enjoying or are, are leaving school and wondering what to do and thinking about perhaps doing something entrepreneurial. What advice would you give to them and what skills do they need to equip themselves with to be successful in an entrepreneurial space? If you don't do it, you won't regret it. And I say that they've got to try. And the best way to equip themselves is make sure that they've got the training. They do the basic management training. And again, it's getting the experience. Go and work at a McDonald's. Go and see what their systems are like. Go and don't be afraid of hard work. And that you will see how systems work, how people interact with each other. But take a risk. But until you take a risk, you won't know. There's no such thing as a 100% of certainty or a safety net. I started this uh, back in 2008. I had a cooker there, which has been sitting there for, we had for years, an oven. We opened, took all the pots and pans out, and it's a brand new oven. I put my mix in there. It baked perfectly. And I started from there. I never knew it would get this big, but I organically grew. And as it grew and grew and grew, as it got to or more, we adapted to it. But again, it's your initiative, your hard work. Don't be afraid of that. Don't give up. If you fall down, get up and start again. 
Don't give up. Take a risk. Suk Chamdel, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for inviting me, Douglas. Thank you for listening to the Wine Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton, and our guest this week, Suk Chamdal, the co-founder of Cakebox Holdings. If you've enjoyed this episode, or indeed the series, why not like it, subscribe to it, and let your friends and colleagues know. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security.